Before we get started, I'd like to take this time to make an announcement. The Unwanted Things podcast will now be accepting short horror story submissions from aspiring writers, like our good friend, Mr. Baker. If you are interested, email us at unwantedthingspod at yahoo.com with the subject line, Submission. Today, we have our first guest writer, Mark Slade. Look for his latest work, Strange Corridors, where books and ebooks are sold. But for now, let's start the show. Hello, and welcome back. I'm so glad to see you again. If this is your first time, let me introduce myself. You can refer to me as The Reader. Yes, I like that. And as The Reader, I feel compelled to tell you exactly what it is you will find here. But this place is quite complicated. And I think it would be much easier to tell you to look in your back seat, look under the bed, check the closet, look in all those unsuspecting dark places that should be empty. And understand that from this day forward, they will not be. If you continue to listen, every unlit hallway, every darkened street, the deepest section of the woods untouched by light, will be filled with unwanted things. I do hope you enjoy them. I know we will enjoy your company. For today's story, we give you Bloodroot by Mark Slade. <laughs> Looking down on the valley from the top of Bly Mountain in southwestern Virginia, Alvin Carter could see the damage and turmoil the storm had caused. The close-knit town of Sawyer had a general store, a church, a hotel, a diner, and about ten houses, slightly spread out. That was not counting all the farms and houses deep in the woods, two or three miles east or five miles west. Sawyer was flooded out. Debris from those buildings and trees and whatnot scattered throughout. People hung around the general store, gathered in the street, not knowing what else to do. The general store and the church were practically the only buildings in town not touched by the storm. Alvin looked down on these people and felt a great sorrow for them. Already a very depressed and poor area, the storm had made it that much gloomier, even more desperate. Alvin took his hat off, wiped the sweat from the back of his neck with his handkerchief. I don't think these folks are going to feel much like singing, he told himself. Well, Alvin Carter, you got to try no matter what. He placed his hat back on his head, straightened the brim a bit, and fixed his handkerchief back in his suit pocket. Because strangers think the worst of a body if they are not properly dressed. Alvin climbed into his 29 Ford and started the engine. The vehicle shuddered and sputtered before a spurt of the wheels pushed it forward and rumbled down the mountainside. The car came to a full stop at a hotel entrance. 
Ivan lowered the brake stick, and the car rolled an inch or two. He got out, surveyed the situation. A man in a white undershirt and overalls approached him. Hello, the man said. Alvin smiled, showed a jagged tooth overlapping, another tooth on the bottom. How are you? As well as God intended, I suppose. Anything you want here, mister? Wrinkles on the man's forehead collided with unkempt, bushy eyebrows. Well, yes. Alvin nodded. I'm here to collect some songs. Songs? The man looked Alvin up and down. Where are you from? I don't believe we've come to that part of the acquaintance, mister. Alvin was standoffish. He didn't believe in asking such a question until he gave you the right to ask it. Right now, mister, people are hurting in this here valley after that storm came through. Alvin looked around. His head shot back to the man. I can see that. We need clothes, food, and a place to stay. Here you are, wanting people's songs? I didn't come here for a fight. Alvin stepped toward the man. But if you're itching, I'm obliged to scratch it. A small, bald man came running up. What's going on here? He jumped in the middle of the beginning of a fistfight between Alvin and the man. Alvin had thrown his hat aside, started to remove his coat. Davis, what's the problem? This stranger has peculiar notions amid distressful times, Mr. Odell, the man said, lowering his fists. Mr. Odell looked Alvin up and down, then jerked his head back to Davis. How so? Davis breathed heavy. He was more than likely just in his mid-thirties, but a harsh life, either in the mines or on a farm, was the cause of any ill health. He wants to trade for songs, he said, wiping his sweat from his face on the sleeves of his shirt. Mr. Odell took a step back. A smile eventually sprang to his sour, fat face. Is that so? he said, cheery. That's so, Alvin said, still miffed. He bent down to pick up his hat and straighten the brim and eased it on top of his head. Come a mini mile to collect songs. I sing, and I perform with a group. Name's Alvin Carter. Mr. Odell's face lit up even more. I know you. Your family sings with you. He slapped Davis on the shoulder and decided to walk away. I got one of their records. Mr. Odell called out to Davis and laughed. Davis swatted at him and called back. So what? He ain't much of a music fan, Mr. Odell scoffed. Alvin nodded. I can tell. He's got a good reason not to be. Can't afford a Victrola machine. Can't afford much at the moment, like others here, Mr. Odell sighed. Nowhere to stay. I mean, Charlie over there has offered rooms. All filled up, of course. If I come at a bad time, I... Do apologize, Alvin said. I don't think God has any notions of a bad time, Mr. Carter. He has a place for things to come together. Besides, music would help ease the worried mind. 
That's what I think, Mr. Odell. Why don't you come inside? Have a Coke or something. Mr. Odell patted Alvin on the back. Can I get my guitar? Of course. I got my fitty and old Jesse Stebman plays the harp. Be a grand time. A woman in a blue tattered dress ambled toward Alvin. Her hair was tangled like vines on a buttressed tree trunk. Her face was dirty and there were red splotches on her neck, bosom, and her arms. She stopped Alvin and he noticed there was a vacancy behind those dismal eyes. I couldn't keep him away, the woman said. I planted bloodroot everywhere, all through this valley. The storm killed him, and this town. Is that a fact? Alvin asked her. I'm sure you did your best. The woman walked, wiping her hands. He's coming no matter what. Rain or shine. Winter or spring. No matter. She mumbled. No matter what. Alvin smiled at Mr. O'Dell. He took the woman by the arm and pointed her toward the hotel. The woman looked frightened by Mr. O'Dell's touch, pulled away and ran off. Now, Ida, O'Dell called after her. Go find Davis. He's been looking for you. He shook his head and chuckled. I'm afraid things are bad here in these parts, Mr. Carter. That family has never been right. Alvin nodded. Who is in this world, Mr. Ildell? It was late before they stopped playing music. Mr. Ildell dug deep into his memory of family songs that told stories of the heartache and heartbreak of the Civil War, while Jesse Stebbin played a few gospel songs that his grandmother sung to him when he was a boy. In the middle of the session, Jesse's wife brought over some greens and a few pieces of chicken. Mr. Odell closed the general store at seven and found a jug of hooch. The songs became less serious and more like a hoedown with a couple of witness ballads Alvin heard in some black churches a few weeks ago. They were tired. Alvin's hand hurt from playing the guitar too much. Rheumatism acting up. He laughed, shook his head. Rain coming, boys, he said. We've had enough of that around these parts, Jesse sniffed. He was a large man, and when he played the fiddle, the back part of the instrument disappeared beneath his three chins. Flood was so bad, I was out back building an ark for me and Lola to escape. All three laughed. Jesse showed Mr. Odell his mug. Mr. Odell ladled some water from a barrel and poured it in the mug. Can't have no more of the other, Jesse. Mr. Odell dropped the ladle back in the barrel. Laura Lee will have my hide if you're too skinned going home. No matter, Jesse yawned. Time for bed anyway. Say, Mr. Carter, that publisher pays you to collect songs? Mr. Odell stood and stretched. The bones in his legs and lower back cracked like flames on kindling. He does. But I always say if it's my song or if it's arranged by me, don't want my name on another's. You know anyone willing to trade for songs? I don't have much money to my name. Sent that home. I'd trade you, Mr. Carter. But those songs belong to my wife's family, and the one I played for you earlier is my granddaddy's story. 
My mother made me promise to keep singing it. She didn't say anything about letting strangers use it. Maybe, Jesse thought about it. Radney Hampton. Jesse, Mr. Odell gasped. That old man is playing crazy. He's first cousin to that Davis and his sister Ida. Something wrong with that family. Maybe I should go see Mr. Hampton. Island opened a beat-up, dusty guitar case and placed his guitar inside. I wouldn't advise it, Mr. Carter. Something bad always happens to those who have dealings with that family. You saw Ida. Mr. Odell shook his head and sighed. Look, I can ask around. I'll be okay, Mr. Odell. Alvin closed the guitar case and latched it. It's only music I'm after. What bad things can come from that? Alvin walked to the hotel, guitar case in hand, swatting mosquitoes with his other hand. The heat felt like a blanket, no breeze stirring at all. The moon was bright and hung at a half-mast that reminded Alvin of a slither of homemade pie. He was about to cross the street when he saw a body moving in the shadows, hanging around the porch of the diner. He saw a strange glowing light appear, a ball of white light that seemed to hover in the air, until a hand reached out and seized it. The ball of white light disappeared immediately. Eyes must be playing tricks on me, Alvin said. I'm more tired than I thought. He decided to cross the street the same time the man from the shadows began his trek. They met up, and Alvin tipped his hat to the man. He was dressed in all white, white tie, white coat, white shirt, white slacks. His face was hard, lines across it like a winding stream, his eyes black as coal, and his hair was jet black that melded with the darkness surrounding them. He was carrying a box about five inches by eight inches. Mister, Alvin said politely. Afternoon, the man said in a gravelly voice. As they passed each other, Alvin felt shivers up and down his body. He stopped, turned, and watched the man walk off in the woods. Something ain't right with that one, Alvin said. In the morning, Alvin came out of the hotel, guitar case in hand. He set out to find Radney Hampton, but he was held up a few minutes at the cafe where his car was parked. Some men were gathered around, seemed like a heated argument. Miss Drodell was in the middle of it, as was the sheriff, Lewis. Lewis was a rotund man with long, spindly legs. His face was sunken in with a large, prominent nose and small eyes that shifted around a little too much for folks' comfort. It was only ten in the morning, yet Lewis's uniform already had several sweat stains. What's going on here, fellas? Alvin asked, chipper. I don't believe I know you, stranger, Lewis said. Oh, uh, he just got in town yesterday, Sheriff. Mr. Odell chuckled. He's okay. Lewis held up his hands. I was talking to the stranger, Mr. Odell. You just got in, huh? I did. Alvin's smile faded to a frown and then a snarl. Not that it's any business of yours, Sheriff. Everything is my business, boy. Lewis wiped spittle from his lips. 
Didn't know it was against the law to be a stranger. Depends on what the stranger has done. Smart mouth and me ain't gonna get on my good side, boy. I really don't care. Alvin's voice grew deeper, his demeanor more intense. I think you better use another word besides boy. You want to spend a few days in jail? You'll need to find a charge, Hook Nose. Lewis stepped forward, as did Mr. Odell. Mr. Odell caught Lewis by the arm, preventing him from going any further. Sheriff, pay heed. This man's not done nothing, and you are making a fool of yourself because of the nature of events. Unhand me, Odell, Lewis demanded, raising his voice. Listen to Mr. Odell, Sheriff, one townie said. He had been hunting that morning, his twenty-two still in his hands. You got an election coming up. If this fellow makes a fuss, you could lose the donor. That's right, Sheriff, a farmer spoke up. Lewis inhaled, then exhaled sharply. Where were you around ten o'clock? Lewis barked at Alvin. Just to answer the sheriff, Mr. Carter. You have a good alibi, Mr. Odell said. Alvin fixed the brim of his hat, sat down in his guitar case. I was with Mr. Odell and Jesse Stebbin, playing music. Lewis looked at Mr. Odell. That's right, Sheriff, Odell said. I'd like to know something, Alvin said. Why do you need to know where I was and what time? A body was found out here, Mr. Carter. Mr. Odell said. Lewis made a noise as if he was a pig going to slaughter. Why don't you tell everyone? He's going to find out anyway. Mr. Odell shook his head at Lewis. Davis was his name. I understand you two had words yesterday. Lewis jabbed a pudgy finger in the air and pointed at Alvin. He was a mite bit high strung from being asked a few questions, Alvin said. I hope that satisfies you, Sheriff. Lewis pursed his lips and thought about it. For now, he answered. Let's break this up, boys. We're drawing attention. He looked at Alvin. I'm sure I'll be seeing you real soon. Sheriff Lewis wobbled to the cafe to have his breakfast. That man has the demeanor of a bobcat, Alvin told Mr. Odell. He's had a rough week or so, Mr. Odell said. Davis was not the only death he's had to deal with. The Jamesons and Fred Time were found dead in their houses a few days ago. The four bodies were found with holes in their chest, but no bloodstains anywhere. Faces paralyzed with fear. Strange, I tell you. Give their families my respects, Mr. Odell. Maybe before I head out, I can stop by and play them a song about the praises of the Lord. That would be real nice, Mr. Carter. Mr. Odell patted Alvin on the shoulder. They walked to Alvin's car. Would you kindly direct me to Radney Hampton's place? You're still going out there? Mr. Odell said, shocked. Something bad is going to happen out there tonight, Mr. Carter. Like what? Alvin looked at Mr. Odell strangely. I, uh, don't rightly know, Mr. Carter. I'm just conjecturing, is all. Mr. Carter, 
I'd hate for things to go expectantly. For you, that is. I promised my publisher those songs. I was told he had some he would trade for, Alvin said. There's no way of talking you out of this, is there, Mr. Carter? Alvin smiled and shook his head. Afraid not, Mr. Odell. When my mind's set, there's no changing it. The winding dirt road led Alvin through the woods and up a long mountainside. Looking for the Hampton House took all day, and Alvin got lost many times. Many twists took Alvin to many dead ends, and once he almost drove straight off a cliff, looking down on the town he just left. He stopped short of the edge. Stone and rubble fell to a running stream just as you entered that town. Alvin got out, looked down, and whistled. The longest drop he'd ever seen in his life. and He grew up in the mountains, but never had to walk or drive one so steep. Alvin took his hat off, wiped sweat from his brow. I tried to keep him here. He heard a woman's voice say calmly. He turned quickly. Found the woman named Ida standing at the rear end of his car. Alvin was feeling a mite bit ornery, so he decided to smart mouth her. That a fact, lady. I sure wish in God's almighty that you'd kept me from this place. Alvin slapped his thigh with his hat and placed it back on his head. Davis. He shouldn't have done what he did. Davis. Alvin thought a second. Davis is dead, isn't he? Ida cocked her head, eyed Alvin suspiciously. Davis was smart since the day he was born, she said. Mama's always said that if he was a chicken, a hawk would have swooped down and took him. Davis, Davis' luck was never blessed. Alvin sniffed the air. I reckon we all have those days. Lady, I ain't the least bit interested. Oh, but you are, mister. I'd have cut Alvin off made sure she had the last word as she began to disappear. You come for a song, and Davis made it easier for you to get. Right before Alvin's eyes, Ida slowly vanished, dematerialized. In the distance, Alvin heard a hawk calling out to its prey. He felt goosebumps rise up and down his whole body. The house was nothing more than a shack seven miles from town, way back in the woods, just between the swamp and the river. Driving along, Alvin was spooked. He'd never seen a ghost or whatever Ida was. He was in such a mood that he didn't even get out of the car when he drove up to Rodney Hampton's yard. He just sat there in silence, contemplating driving back home to Sarah. Too many odd happenings, hurtful people, and just bad feelings overall. It was enough for Alvin to want to make a trek for home. Hell, I got enough songs, he said out loud. I don't need any more. You here for a song? A voice said. Alvin gasped, looked around, and saw no one in sight. He closed his eyes, caught his breath. I said, you here for the song. Alvin opened 
his eyes to see an elderly man in stained overalls standing beside the car. Uh, yes. Yes, sir. Alvin struggled to get it out. Are you Radney Hampton? I'm Radney Hampton, yes, Hampton said. They eyed each other for a bit, until Hampton grew annoyed with that situation. Well, he growled. Come on in the house if you want that damn song. Hampton walked fast for an old man. His feet pointed inwards, his legs bowed under him. He went up a few steps on his porch and stopped. He turned to see that Alvin was reluctantly following slowly. Come on. I don't have all night for this, mister. Name's Alvin. I'd appreciate it if you called me that with respect. Alvin barked back. The old man's demeanor changed immediately. He laughed like a man who just found the last crumb of bread and smacked his leg. Well, okay, Hampton bellowed. We're going to get along just fine. He laughed again. Just fine. Inside the house, there was only a chair and an old rocking chair. There was an old Dubrow that sat on the floor beside a jug of moonshine. On the wall were several framed drawings of the same woman. Some were oil paintings, some were water paintings, and others were just charcoal drawings. That's Ida, Hampton said. Finest woman I've ever met. Alvin shook his head. We've met, he said. A lot of people tell me that. Most of them are okay with meeting her as a spirit. For some, it's a life-changing event. For me, it represents sadness. Regret. Was she your wife, Mr. Hampton? No. We were never married. Though we did have a child. I have no idea where that child is. Some folks, the reverend in town, thought it was their duty to give that child to a better family. Give the child a proper name. There was nothing wrong with my family's name, Alvin. He sniffed the air. Nothing at all. I'm sure, Mr. Hampton. Look, I don't want to sound impatient, but I'd like to get this thing started. I need to go home. I'm feeling more than a little homesick. Alvin sat on the couch, took his hat off. What's the song sound like? Alvin sighed, with a bit of exasperation thrown in. I'd sit and play it with you, Alvin. Hampton sat in his rocking chair, reached into an old Bible the size of a small coffee table. I don't have the wind to sing anymore. As you can see, my fingers are curling toward the palm of my hand. So I can't play the Dubro anymore. He handed Alvin a sheet of paper rolled up, a blue string tied at both ends. That's music sheet. You read music? Some. Alvin unrolled the paper, read over the lyrics. I had a music teacher help me translate it in those funny little lines. He was just passing through, and we got to talking. Good man. He died on the way back to his home just out on the highway. He should not have strayed from his home in New Jersey. He'd be alive today. Car wreck? Alvin rolled the paper back up, retied the string at both ends. Hampton shook his head. No. Unnatural causes. Alvin didn't know what to say to that. He let it go. 
the quicker he got out of Hampton's house, the quicker he was on his way home to be with Sarah. What do you want for the song, Mr. Hampton? I don't have much money. Hampton laughed, dismissed the notion of money with a wave of the hand. I don't want money. He pointed a jagged finger at Alvin. I just want a promise. A promise, Alvin repeated. You heard me right, son. Hampton paused, moved his finger to the open window. You see that mountain top? Yes, sir. Take that road through town, back up that mountainside. At the very tip, there's a grave. You copy the words from that paper for your own. Dig up some dirt, then you place that paper in that grave, Hampton said. You hear me? Yes, sir. That's the deal, son. I promise. And you get the song. He reached into his pocket and handed Alvin a flower. The petals of this flower were blood red, and the edges folded in. Take this. A flower? Bloodroot, boy. Hampton screamed. You'll need it. Trust me. Protection is everything. You don't have that. You don't have a soul to bear to your maker. Hampton had this strange look on his face, a mixture of pain and relief. His body jumped and sparks of electricity filled the air. Hampton fell to the floor to reveal a shadowy presence behind him. It was the man dressed in all white, his eyes glowing red, holding a Bible box. The lid was partially open and a clear glowing ball of light removed itself from Hampton's limp body and hovered in the air before dipping into the box. Alvin took a few steps backward. I don't want no trouble, mister. The man in white chuckled. His eyes returned to the color of deep darkness. You picked the wrong day, my friend. Honestly, you are nothing but extra fixings on my plate. My lord and master will be happy to have your soul. A demon? You, you're a demon? Alvin stuttered, dropping the music sheet in the bloodroot flower. That's what you'd like to call me. Not the same lord and master. Matters not. No one knows where he came from. He just appeared. My lord and master. The arcane and beautiful wormwood. The man in white side. He backed Alvin into a corner. There was nowhere to go. I collect souls for him. Place them in my Bible box. When I go to the temple, I am led underneath into the darkness where my lord and master resides. I open the lid, the souls escape, and the balls of light glide over to my lord to feed off of, bringing powers beyond our measly minds could ever understand. I get so much more fulfillment than when I was a Bible salesman years ago. I know you are wondering why I'm here in this dead town. Well, there was one soul that got away from me. For some wrong reason, I could never collect that soul, nor punish the one who prevented me from collecting it. You could see how angry that would make me. A mist rose from the music sheet and materialized as Ida, holding the bloodroot flower between her fingers. She rushed toward the man in white and placed the bloodroot on his chest. 
The man in white screamed and dwindled in rising flames and was gone in a puff of smoke. Ivan gasped as he watched the charred body of Mr. Odell fall from the ashes. Ivan was puzzled. Mr. Odell's that demon? He shook his head. You never know about people. Ida retrieved the undamaged bloodroot flower from Mr. Odell's chest. She handed it to Alvin, along with the sheet of music Hampton had wrote for her. I told you I'd tried to keep him from this place, Ida said. I'm so tired of wandering. Running from those that wish to catch me. Put me in a box. Please take me to my resting place, as Radney asked of you. I'm so tired. Alvin delivered the music sheet to Ida's grave. Up on the mountainside, he dug with his own hands. Just enough of the ground to cover the papers. He placed the soil back on the grave, then dropped the bloodroot flower on top. The flower sank into the disturbed soil before disappearing. He drove through the town one last time. He didn't see a soul. No birds, or any other animals for that matter. The valley was still. No wind. No sound at all. The damage was still bountiful and in plain view. Down the road a ways, he spied a young man walking down the dirt road. He stopped and picked the man up. The man climbed inside, and the whiff of body odor was strong, and from the looks of his tattered clothing, the man had been on the road for a good while. Thank you for the ride, he said. Alvin nodded. You're welcome. He offered his hand to the man. The man had a good, strong grip. Shook it once but kept a suspicious eye on Alvin. Name's Alvin Carter. Monroe Buell, the man said. You came from that mountain yonder? That's right, Alvin said. Stayed in Sawyer for two days. Monroe looked him up and down. You're more of a man than I could ever be. Why say that? Alvin blurted. Monroe clicked his tongue and whistled. Mr. Carter, there ain't been a living soul in those parts except one man. He didn't live in town. He lived on that mountaintop. Ain't nobody been living in that town since that storm five years ago. No one living, Mr. Carter. Suddenly, Alvin Carter felt a cold shudder come across his body. <laughs> Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed Bloodroot by Mark Slade. As always, be sure to subscribe to catch all future episodes. Share us on social media and leave a rating and review to help us reach new listeners. Thank you again. You'll be hearing from us very soon.